0: Sovereignty—it's such an easy thing to lose track of. And uh, this week, we're going to be in the uh, book of Esther. We are—we're uh, going to take a break from our transformation series, and uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, going through the book of Esther over the summer. Because uh, one, it's a fun story; uh, it's an easy one to jump in and out of. If you're—if uh, you're on vacation or you miss a week or you're away, uh, so you can jump in and out of it. Um, and but it's a uh, it's a it's an easy story to follow, but it's an important story I think for us to listen to. And this is a this is a uh, the book of Esther has a really fascinating history just in the Bible. There's been a lot of uh, argument over whether or not Esther belongs there. Esther belo- Esther was placed in the canon from the earliest times, uh, earliest ones that we have. Uh, it was, the Septuagint had Esther in it, but by the time we get to the Reformers and a little bit later there's a lot of argument about whether or not Esther should be included. Uh, with the biggest issue being that Esther does not specifically mention God ever. Um... There are some additions to Esther that some translations will put in that were added later on. There is an apocryphal addition to the book of Esther that mentions God, but in its original earliest manuscript form, there is no mention of God in it. Now, I think it's fascinating because I do believe that God inspired scripture, and I also believe that God inspired the canon, that we have this story in the middle of the scriptures that is fascinating, and yet God doesn't show his face clearly in this story that he is inspired. And I think that that's important for us to wrap our heads around as as followers of Jesus. But I also think it resonates with our experience. Because often we are in stories where God does not seem to be showing his face clearly where we have to look for him in the margins and in the backgrounds and, and 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 in the events and in the circumstances, as opposed to God showing up in a burning bush or God showing up in a pillar of cloud or God showing up and, and, and burning up an entire waterlogged altar. God doesn't show up in that way in this story. And there's if you have experienced God showing up for you in those ways in those obvious and and blatant ways, good for you, that is a beautiful and awesome thing and we all hope that God shows up there all the time. But the reality is sometimes God shows up in the margins and God shows up in the places where he 's missing it, and in circumstances and uh and 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 that's why I think this is an important story for us to pay attention to. This is also an important story because all of the heroes of this story are women. And there's not a lot of there are multiple biblical stories of that. But I think that that is another thing that made uh, kind of church fathers uncomfortable. It's like what do we do with this story that is that everyone who seems to be doing something important are women? Uh, I don't think that they could easily wrap their heads around that. So um, and, and 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 also. There's a lot of debate over what the purpose of this story was because, in in terms of literature, the structure of this is a comedy. Esther is a comedy. There's no arguing that. It's structurally it's a comedy in that it starts in one place and then it gets really bad, and that it ends in a good place. And the the bad people have bad things happen to them, and the good thing the good people have good things happen to them. Like it's that kind of like comedic structure, but also like the way it's structured and the events that happen and the wordings that they use are also incredibly funny when you start to look at them. And I'm not just saying that as somebody who is deeply nerdy about the Bible, trying to find humor where it isn't. Like this is genuinely dramatic irony Funny stuff, um, but there's also some. Uh, the, so, but there's also some uh, historical evidence that Esther was used as a as a pr- performance comedy, but it was also used as a performance burlesque, which makes me go a little bit weird. But I'm just trying to let you know the historical facts. But this is where the story starts. Okay, So the story starts. Uh, with all of the setting, and, and it's an amazing story. So this is, this is how the story starts off. So this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, or Ahasuerus in the original translation. Most translations just sub in Xerxes because they think it's the same guy, and Xerxes is way easier to say than Ahasuerus. So uh, during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. Kush is modern-day Ethiopia. At that time... King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. And for a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor of his glory and majesty. So for a full 180 days, we're already into ridiculous things, but he throws like a six-month party. He displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and his splendor and his majesty. When these days were over, then the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people who were le- from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. These are all very expensive materials. That's why they're mentioning it. It's not just so you can uh, so we can have a, 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 an HGT description of the set this is to remind you that this is these are all displays of power and wealth material marble pillars there were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic which doesn't sound that comfortable on a mosaic pavement of papyri marble mother of pearl and other costly stones wine was served in goblets of gold each one different than the other and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink without restriction. The king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. So this is very interesting, and now we got the set. King Xerxes is displaying the vast power of his wealth. King Xerxes is displaying how strong and powerful he is, how, how wealthy he is, and now he's throwing a party for all of his cronies. It's a pink and blue party, which seems a little bit weird to me, but that was the way that they did it. And they have, So he's got all of his dudes, and they're all drinking to abundance, drinking to ridiculous levels, and they're having this amazing big party. At the royal palace of King Xerxes. Okay, so next, this is the inciting incident of the whole story, though. This is what sets us off on our way. So we've got the most powerful man in the world, the richest man in the world, the most, the the the, the supposedly the strongest man in the world. And on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, we all know what that means. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him: Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha. Abagtha, Zether, and Carcass to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order... And I'm, this is not, in some ways, a PG. So this isn't a G-rated story, because the implication of wearing her royal crown is that very little else was to be worn. So... Imagine that. In order to display her beauty for the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. And then the king became furious and burned with anger. So all of this story starts off because Queen Vashti just says, nah, no, this sounds like a terrible idea. There's so much drama packed into this one sentence that Queen Vashti refused to come. And if you want, and I want to invite you to use your imaginations, because scripture is inviting us to use our imaginations. The seven eunuchs going like, is she going to go for this? This is a really bad idea, isn't it? Like, should we all be listening to this incredibly drunk person? Well, going into saying to Queen Vashti, like, he wants you to come and do a show for the dudes at the other party, yeah, in your birthday suit, and she says, and, and what I love about this is like, this is the other thing that we don't get, is that like, so, like she's at her own party of only women, right? So there, I, the first time I read this, and when I wrote a play about it, I imagined Vashti alone, quietly being like, no, I will refuse to come. It was very dramatic and serious. But, I'm all, but now I'm imagining she's at her own drunken party with all of the women, and I'm just imagining all of the women going, No! No, you're not going over there. <laughs> tell him to, to put on his own part. You know, like, I just think that the, it, this is, the, there's so much drama packed into this sentence. And then we get the, the, like, the eunuchs coming back, and what negotiations did they have to do? Like, who's going to tell? Big Thee, you're going to be the one who actually tells it. But I told him the bad news last time. No, well, a bag Thee, you go. It's fascinating. But there is a power, an unbelievable power that we see in this in just saying no. Because even the most powerful person in the world, he might be able to force to, to, to get her to do this by force, but she can still just refuse to do it, refusing to go. And there's an incredible power that we see in just not participating in what those in power want us to participate in, in refusing to participate in, uh, in what we do not think is right. When the most powerful people in the world tell us that you have to come, you have to go, you have to celebrate, you have to honor this, you have to dishonor this, you have to be afraid of this, you have to love that, we can just say no. No. And the most powerful things that Christians have done throughout history is to, in the strength that comes from God, just say, no, we're not going to do that. It's amazing what Vashti does in this moment because, because our traditional response to conflict or being uncomfortable is to fight or to run. Those are the two things that our brain tells us to do, and the chemicals in our brain tell us to do that too. If we're attacked, if we're in fear, if somebody's trying to get us to do something that we, want, we don't want to do, adrenaline pops into our brains, and we want to fight or we want to run. But Vashti does a third thing, which is what we're called to do most of the time as followers of Jesus, is to stand. He just says, no, I'm not running, I'm not fighting, but I'm not doing what you want me to do. And it's amazing how that simple refusal throws the entire kingdom into an up, upheaval. And it's an amazing the power that we have when rather than fighting and rather than running, we just choose to stand. So, since it was customary for the king to consult experts in the law, matter of law and justice, so he's mad now, and he has all these advisors, this is hilarious to me, He spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king, Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marcena, and Memacan. Now, this is another entire group. So we got the seven eunuchs. They're their own kind of party. And now we have the seven wise men who are going to be listening to, uh, to Xerxes' complaints about this. And they understand the times. And according to the law, Xerxes asked, What must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Seven legal scholars were brought in to deal with the situation. And if these people, men, were really wise, and if they really understood the times and matters of law and justice, they would say, Shut up, Xerxes, take the L pretend this never happened. It never happened. It will shock you how much this never happened. Like, let this go. We will all just say that it was a a, a drunken deal, and everyone will forget about it, right? But that's not what happens. Then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and peoples of the provinces of King Xerxes. What? what? She's done wrong to everyone in the kingdom? This is crazy how much, like, and, and I would love to say that this is an ancient thing, but isn't, isn't it crazy how one insult to a really powerful person is supposedly communicated on the rest of us somehow? That like somehow a a minor wrong done to a person in power is somehow upheaving all of our society? That's not the way that things work. That doesn't demonstrate strength, right? So Queen Vashti has done wrong, not against all the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples in the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to disrespect and discord. What's going to happen if women can say no to stuff? (laughs) Look, if women start to say no to stuff, then everything's going to break down into pieces. And if this woman says no, then that's going to get contagious, and all these other women are going to start saying no to stuff too. The weakness of this story, right? Because one little refusal is just the chink in the armor that's going to bring the whole kingdom to its knees, according to this man. This is... This is, women will start refusing all kinds of stuff. They'll stop, like, making us cups of tea if we want. I don't know what else they're going to refuse. But disrespect and discord this very day. Women can't say no. What, 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 what's going to happen? Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, which is also, a, like, this is part of the joke. A law that cannot be repealed is a really stupid law. Like any, Because you end up tying yourself into knots. Over Anyway, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. And then when the king's edict is proclaimed through all the vast realm, all women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Now, I'm going to ask the women in the room to imagine... That there is a government edict for you to better respect your husbands. <laughs> How well is that gonna translate into your day to day life? Right? It's not. It's just like the, the, only an academic legal scholar would think that you could actually change the content of someone's relationship with a government edict, that it would bring about respect in the home by him writing something on a piece of paper in provinces hundreds of miles away. When the king's edict is proclaimed through all the, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. It's the exact opposite is going to happen, right? That's not a display of strength. That's a display of weakness. If you are a respectable person, people will respect you for the most part, right? If you and if they don't, then that that's probably on them, but the idea that this is going to be enshrined in law is ridiculous. And so the kings and his nobles were pleased with this advice, like, and this is where we have the all, all of got. guys, mmm, Yes. mess, yeah, very smart, Memacan, well done, well done. So the king and his nobles were pleased with the advice. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man should be ruler in his own household using his native tongue. How much of a ruler are you when you need this stuff to happen? And in, the, in this we do see... And the story is already start, starting to point out to us the difference between real power and the appearance of power. We've already set up this story with Xerxes, with, him, with us telling us about his furniture and his provinces and his nobles and his military leaders and his eunuchs and his scholars and all of these people lining up demonstrating his power. But who actually has power at this point in the story? Vashti does, because for all of his stuff, she could just say, no, I'm not, and he could murder her, right? He could fight her. He could do all of those sorts of things, but that doesn't change her refusal to cooperate. There are always going to be those who attempt to demonstrate their power with displays of splendor and glory, but Queen Vashti demonstrates really early on that you can just refuse to play that game. We have the option of just refusing to believe that power is guaranteed in ost- ostentatious displays of wealth and in government edicts and all of those things. We can refuse to play that game. And and this is interesting because and, and that that's the end of the first chapter. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave it at that. And oh, the other thing that I. Uh, <laughs> I missed is that, like, do we really think that Vashti is that upset about the punishment? Like, the punishment is that she will never be allowed to enter into your presence again. And it's like, oh no. That sounds terrible. This would be like going up to one of my children and being like, you will never be allowed to eat Brussels sprouts again. And they're like, uh oh. This is terrible. (laughs) <laughs> you like Brussels sprouts, that's fine, yes. But it's interesting how much, because this idea of refusal to play the games of power is something that is echoed in Jesus when he sends his, out his disciples into the world. He says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard you will be handed over to local councils and be flogged by be flogged in the synagogues on my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the gentiles this is really interesting jesus says the the instruments of power are going to be used against you if you follow me If you do what I have sent you to do on on mission, the instruments of power for those who feel that this world is as good as it can get, those are going to be used against you with violence and power and coercion. You don't have to play that game. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in the ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Queen Vashti refuses to play the game of the most powerful person in the world. And what can he do? Nothing. He can't do a thing about it. And he just looks more and more ridiculous with every step that he takes to to repair this one person who said no. And all of a sudden it's demonstrated to us as the readers of the story that what he believes to be power is not power at all. We can do the exact same thing and we're instructed for it. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of ostentatious displays of wealth or of political power or of legal coercion. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. And the worst that anyone can do to us is to destroy this body. That's it. So we can always choose to stand like Vashti did. We can always say no. We can choose to stand and like, the, and, and like it says in Psalms 1, have our roots planted deep in Jesus so we will stand in the times of trouble. So we will bear fruit in season. And we can laugh at the ridiculous ostentatious displays of power and authority because we know where real power lies. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this story. We are grateful that you give us comedy and stories at which we can laugh and stories that point out the ridiculousness of of, of human beings trying to assert power over this world, of human beings trying to assert power over each other, of of people thinking that wealth means something in the grand scheme of eternity. Xerxes was the most powerful person on earth at the time, and now he is remembered as a minor punchline. We are grateful that you are turning this entire world on its head, and we ask that you would give us the courage to do, the, uh, uh, to do that as well. Give us the wisdom to see what power matters and what power is silly. Give us the, the, the ability to see what, what, who is ridiculous and who is wise. Give us the power to stand in the midst uh, of oppression, trusting and fearing only you and laughing at the days to come because we know that you write the, the ending of our story and that the story ends well. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.